Let's turn our Bibles to James. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We'll read verse 1 through to verse, verse 12. James chapter 4, and I commence reading. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not receive and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is no it is to no purpose that the scripture says he ends generously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your, your, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exhort you. <clears throat> Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against <coughs> excuse <coughs> the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? <coughs> Excuse. This afternoon we are back in our study of the book of James. And we come to verse 10 through, verse 7 through to verse 10 of chapter 4. And in that portion of the scriptures we see how James highlights on how true faith avoids worldliness. And as we've, as we've been going through the book of James, we've seen that true faith reveals itself in practical godly living. And James has been highlighting different areas of our lives or our Christian lives where true faith shows itself in practical godly living, when you're going through trials, the areas of not showing partiality, the use of the tongue, and even 
the whole element of being friends with the world. And the portion we'll be considering, <clears throat> James has diagonized what the source of the quarrels are among believers or his audience that he was writing to. And having diagonized their selfish discord as a display or a manifestation of, of worldliness, he shows them how serious this is, and then he's, he now brings to them on how they can ratify the whole situation. And James wants his audience and all of us to understand that friendships with the world makes us to be enemies of God. And even when Christians be become worldly, they become enemies of God. That's what the scriptures are really saying. And now having laid the problem before them, he proceeds to show them how to conduct themselves or how to avoid worldly, worldliness. And what we see there is a path to restoration, a path to a right relationship with God. Because inevitably, worldliness among God's people brings about this disunity, as it were, in their relationship with God. And now James shows them how to return to a, a, a right relationship with God. And this is the instructions for, for all of us on how to avoid worldliness. It's by <clears throat> having a, a, a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and being alive and growing in that relationship. And we do so by considering the areas that James has given us or the truths that James highlights for us. And we will be considering those elements from verse 7 through <clears throat> to verse 10. And the first thing that James, <coughs> excuse, the first thing that James brings it's the believer's obedience to God. <coughs> the believer's obedience to God. Verse 7. Submit yourselves before, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And James captures this obedience of believers in the words submit and resist. Submit and resist. These two commands given in, in this verse actually bring out this element that we belong to God. And these are military terms that James is using. And these are terms which every believer should be familiar with 
and live in accordance with what the scriptures say. And, and, and James is saying these words or these imperatives highlight the believer's obedience to God. And it is this obedience that helps believers to avoid worldliness. And the first thing that James highlights is the, the element of submission. Submission. And this word simply means to, to, to rank under, to rank under, or to arrange under. To rank under or to arrange under. And he's saying, submit yourselves to God. And it conveys a sense of agency demanding immediate compliance with this imperative. And James is saying, if you are going to resist worldliness, if you are going to avoid worldliness, there is need for you to immediately submit to God, to arrange yourself under God, or to rank under God. This verb, submit, is frequently used in the New Testament. And each time it is used, it gives this element that the, there is an arrangement that God has given which shows order in any given situation. And everyone must abide by that arrangement. It was used by Luke in Luke chapter 2 and verse 51. And Luke highlights the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ to his parents. You know, when he remained behind and, and they were looking for him, then they found him in the temple. And the Lord Jesus Christ was taught to, to come along. And the Bible highlights that he followed, he submitted, he arranged himself under the authority of the parents. Then the Apostle Paul also uses it to indicate a Christian's responsibility to human government or human authority in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, where he talks of submitting yourselves under the governing authority. Also then it's used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 24, and in there it's, it's talking about a marriage relationship where hus wives are to submit to their own husbands. And again, the whole issue there, it's, it's God has put things in order, and those things must be the way God wants them to be, and everyone must abide under what God is saying. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 9, again the Apostle Paul talks of the, uses the word submit to refer to the relationship of slaves and their master. And what is highlighted in all those verses, it is this, that the, it is a core for voluntary submission. It is a call 
for one to voluntarily submit themselves to God and his will. It gives us the, the element or the idea of one not being forced or coerced into submission, but one who willingly submits as, as he sees the situation and realizes that this is the correct way in which things ought to be. Slaves submit to their masters. Wives submit to their husbands. Citizens submit to their governing authority. Children submit to their parents. That's God's order of things. And this must be done willingly. And here, the Lord, the, the Apostle James is using it for Christians that they must submit to God. They must willingly give themselves to God if they are to avoid worldliness. The other side of the command is resist the devil and he will flee from you. And this is James' logic. Is that by you submitting to God, who's your new master, you are resisting your old master, the devil. Because the moment you give yourself to, to the service of one master, you are resisting or denying the, yourself to another master. And this is why James is saying, submit to God and then resist the evil one and he will flee you. And the word resist literally means to, to stand against or to, or to oppose and you see, James is employing the military language here. To submit, you submit under authority, but also you resist, you oppose the enemy. And this is what James is actually highlighting. Wholehearted submission to God is only possible when one resists the evil one. Wholehearted submission to God is only possible when one resists the evil one. And this is what he's writing to his audience, that instead of you quarreling amongst yourselves, fighting amongst yourselves, here is one area in which you can exercise that, that combative element and this is by you resisting the evil one and then submitting yourselves to God's will. And this calls for obedience from believers. You will not resist the evil one. Submit to God if you are not obedient to God's will, God's work, God's word, God's ways. And we live at a time when everyone is 
or at least believers or majority of religious people are so interested in trying to find out how they can resist the evil one. How many, how many times have you heard the question asked as to how do you deal with the devil? Or how do you deal with the evil one? How do you overcome the, the, the subtle tactics of, of Satan? And the answer is right there. Resist him. And he will flee from you. That's what the Bible is saying. Resist him. You don't go around looking uh, for opportunities to attack and, and kick him as it were. You have to resist him. In short, there must be no room for compromise. In any area of your life, of your Christian faith, there must be no area to compromise because the devil will use that window to tempt you and to sweat you. There must be no room for compromise. Remember, he is a master of deception. He knows how to appeal to the human flesh. He knows what you like. He knows what areas to bring temptation. He's in the business of accusing believers. He's in the business of trying to, to bring down their fall. He's in the business of ensuring that everything that has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ is destroyed. This has been his goal since creation. We see this when sin entered the world. He knows how to get to your heart. He knows how to get to you. He knows the desires of men. And the scriptures are telling us here that you must be on your guard. You must not let your guard down. You must not compromise. You must submit to what God is saying and resist the evil one. And he will resist from you. He will flee from you rather. You cannot resist the evil one on your own strength. That's why you, you need to daily be sensitive to the guiding and leading of the Holy Spirit. This is why you need to daily be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the scriptures tell us in Romans 12, that we must not conform any longer to the things of this world, but transform yourselves, your mind, trans be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may see and come to know what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. It is as you are growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you read your scriptures, as you pray to God, as you live an obedient Christian life, will you be able to resist the evil one. And this calls for obedience on your part to do just what the scriptures tell us to do. And thanks be to God, we have a blessed captain, the Lord Jesus Christ, who stands with us, 
fights for us. And when he gives a command, his commands are not burdensome. He gives us his spirit to help us live in obedience to his will. And what a blessed captain is ours, that he gave us his example. He obeyed his father in everything. And he stands before his father, interceding for us, so that we may learn to resist the evil one and to submit to God's will. So how do you resist or how do you avoid worldliness? Obedience. Obedience to God. That's the believer's obedience to God. But secondly, we see the believer's objective towards God. The, the believer's objective. Verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's, that's how you ought to carry yourself. This should be your objective. That you ensure that as you live your Christian life, you are prepared and conditioned for the battles of this world. And as you do so, you must have the, the right objective. You're not just living your Christian life as you please. There must be a wholehearted return to God. But there must also be personal cleansing. A wholehearted return to God and the personal cleansing. Verse 8, the first part, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And this verse highlights for us that when God's people are worldly or living in worldliness, it results in some distance in their relationship with God. And they must return to an intimate relationship with him. And James is saying that man or believers must heed to God's call to return to this divine call. The initiative to return to God, to restore this relationship, does not lie within our power, but rather we must respond to God's call and return to him. Left to ourselves, we will continue to wallow in sin. But because you are God's children, and God has purchased you by the blood of Christ, 
He sends His message to you through different avenues. And the Holy Spirit in you is reminding you that you have distanced yourself from God. And when you hear this call to return to God, you must respond by drawing near to God. And James said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now this word, draw near to God, was, was used in the Old Testament of the priests in the tabernacle. And the priest who was duly qualified to approach God with the sacrifices would draw near to God. And you find this when you read in Levitic, Leviticus chapter 10 and also in Leviticus chapter 21, verses 23, 21 to 23. And a priest who met the conditions or the terms that God prescribed would draw near to God in the tabernacle with the sacrifices and present them before God. And then God will accept them. But it was also used in the Old Testament in the wider sense of a man's approach to God in worship. When you read Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13, it talks about drawing near to God in worship of this great God. And this term conveys the idea or the thought of entering into communion with the triune God. And James He's saying, if this is your objective as a, as a child of God, you draw near to God, God himself gives us a promise, and the promise is that he will draw near to you. And what a, a glorious promise. But we must bear in mind that this promise is not that it's God is the one who had moved. God is unchangeable. It's a believer who moved away from that communion with God. But when you draw near to God, you find God where he's always been, with arms wide open, ready to receive you. And the scriptures are telling us that for you to avoid worldliness as a Christian, you must have this objective that you draw near to God. You will be drawing near to God. You will be constantly coming before God. And this God will draw near to you. Or you find that this God is nearer to you every day of your life. So there must be a wholehearted return to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But there's also the element of personal cleansing. The, half, the last half of verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double 
minded. Just as a sidetrack, I remember someone sending this verse and the last half of verse 8 in the King James language. Huh? And he said, Pastor, how about that for your first sermon after COVID? That uh, cleanse yourself, you sinners. Now try to read that in the, in the King James Version. So we laughed about that. But let's get back to, to James. Now, James is talking about this personal cleansing. And, and the picture there is that worldliness leaves you polluted, and therefore there is need for personal cleansing. There is need for you to go before God and be cleansed so that you may be accepted to God as you return to this God. And this sharp address that James uses, and when he says, you sinners, seems to be used deliberately so that his audience can hear what James is saying. He wants to press it upon their consciences. James wants them to see that worldliness has brought about this this pollution, and therefore there must be a radical cleansing if you are going to return to communion with God. And it demands a change in their conduct. And this personal cleansing, James is basically saying it's a life of repentance. A constant life of repentance, putting to death any hindrances and being in tune with God. And there must be a realization that as a Christian have been bought by God, he's my master. But along my service, my, my line of duty, I willingly left my master and gave myself to another master and therefore have brought about dishonor, have brought about pollution to my master. And if I'm going to go back to my master, I must ensure that I'm acceptable before him uh, so that when I draw near to him, he may draw near to me. And I must outwardly and inwardly cleanse myself before God. And says, cleanse your hands, which basically is, is giving the idea of outward cleansing. And then he says, you sin and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He talks about inward cleansing. So there must be both outward and inward cleansing. And the idea is that sin has polluted both the inside and the outside of God's people. And again, he's drawing from the language in the Old Testament. The priests had to cleanse themselves before they were to offer any sacrifices before God. 
they could not just accept God anywhere they wanted. They needed to cleanse themselves before God so that they are worthy instruments of service in the hands of God. And this is exactly what James is saying. That sin defiles, pollutes. And among Christians, worldliness pollutes them. And therefore, they must call upon God. They must call upon God the Son to cleanse them as they, as they confess their sins, as they trust God in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as they call upon him, they must make sure that if anything that was between them and God is dealt with and that their heart is right before God, only then will they be able to respond in obedience to this God. And this, therefore, must be objective as you, as you journey through life on earth. As a Christian, your goal must be to draw near to God, and your goal must be that there must be nothing that hinders you to have fellowship with your God. Well, this is how you avoid worldliness. Obedience to God. You must have the right objectives before God. And in Christ, you are acceptable before God, but your sins grieve the Holy Spirit. He's grieved when you willingly give yourself to another master. When, yet, when you belong to the God of the heavens. And that's why there must be a radical change in your heart, in your life. You must turn away from everything that hinders you from a right fellowship with God, from everything that seems to be drawing you away from God, from everything that seems to be a source of attraction in your life. And this has to do with having the right objective as a Christian. And then in the third place, James highlights the believer's outlook to life. The believer's outlook to life, verse 9 and 10. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exhort you. And James is saying you must possess and maintain a correct attitude to your relationship with God, but also to life 
in general. And he's basically saying there must be an honest outlook. There must be an honest outlook. And he says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What is James saying in that verse? Is he saying that the Lord commands that Christians must live a life void of happiness? Is he saying that you are never to experience joy? When he says, be wretched and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Is James saying that we must continuously live in deep despair, never laugh or express joy of any sort in our lives? I don't think that's what James is saying. But James, he's calling for a serious examination of those who are double-minded. Those who are one leg with the world and another in, with God's people. And that's what he said, be wretched, and you see there, weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your gloom to joy. It's connected with what he has said in verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And throughout the book of James, when, when he speaks of being double-minded, he's speaking of Christians who, who want to have God as their supreme delight, but at the same time wanting to have the world as their supreme delight. And he's saying you cannot be toasted to and from. You must make up your mind and, and know who you belong to. You have been ransomed from your sins. And therefore, if this is your life, you will not experience any sense of joy because you cannot enjoy the things of the world because God has changed you. You can't go back to your vomit. You are not the same. But again, you cannot enjoy the presence of God because of your sin. And therefore your life is as good as devoid of happiness because the things of this world do not appeal to you because you are saved. And then the things of God do not appeal to you because you are living in sin. And therefore your life is devoid of real joy. And the desire there is that you must be broken about your sins. But you should not just be broken about your sins, but you must be broken about the sins of the world. 
When you see people living in sin, especially those who call themselves Christians, wallowing in the pleasures of this world, it must break you. Because you are not in a right relationship with God. And there must be this honest outlook to life. When you look at your life, look at the, the life around you. Look at the life of your fellow Christians. And this will bring tears to your hearts when you see Christians living worldly lives. but it also highlights the fact that this outlook, there must be a humble outlook. And verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. There must be godly humility and the force of the verse is, James is really saying, allow yourselves to be humble before God. Because in verse 6, he had earlier on said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's not force or forced humiliation. But voluntary humiliation before the God of the universe when you recognize that I'm approaching God or I'm under the watchful eye of God. I will not glory in my pride. I will humble myself because before God I'm nothing. He sees my heart. He sees my mind. He knows the very words before they come out. And I cannot mock this God. I cannot deceive this God. And when I go before him, I must be open before this God and allow myself to be humble before this God. And the sense of utter unworthiness before this God must induce humility in your life. Be humble before the living God. And James says, He, the Lord, will exhort you. He will exhort you. And again, there is a precious promise that God will exhort you. And, and picture it this way. It's like here is a beggar who goes before a king and he falls prostrate before the king. And he can't even look in the eyes of the king. And as he falls prostrate before the king, he's begging for mercy before the king. And then 
James is saying, you go before the king of the universe. The king will come to you. Pull you up. And grant you mercy. Say, he will exhort you. Like as you fall before this earthly king, if you picture it that way, you beg for mercy. And then the king leans down towards you and lifts you up and tells you to sit in his chair or in one of the chairs around and then grants you your request. As you leave the king's presence, you have great joy. You are filled with happiness knowing that you have been granted your request by the king. And James is saying that's true, infinitely true of our God. When you humble yourself before this God, he leans down to you and lifts you up and grants you your petition. And you're filled with joy, laughter, happiness. The king of the universe has exalted you. This humble and honest outlook are ingredients for avoiding worldliness. When you realize that you cannot deceive God and God is present everywhere, you want to live your Christian life with that knowledge, living in full view of this God. You will not do as you please, thinking that God is not seeing you, God is not watching you. You will live your life not in fear, but in the joy of knowing that I serve a God who's ever present with me. He sees what I do. He sees my heart, my mind, and he calls me to draw near to him and to humble myself before him, and he will exalt me. Living at a time when worldliness is rife among Christians, this, this truth as recorded to us by James is, it will make a difference. It will want to make a difference in our lives. If you simply trust your, your principles, your knowledge, your conduct, it will not be enough. The evil one knows how to appeal to you. And he will bring the right attractions that will, that will sweep you off your feet as it were. When you are constantly 
drinking from God, drinking, drinking his word, drawing near to him, submitting to him, resisting the evil one, humbling yourself before him, he will exhort you. He will strengthen you. He will cause you to stand even in the midst of your trials and temptations. He will cause you to be salt and light in a world that is living in rebellion against this God. He will cause you to enjoy fellowship one with the other because through that fellowship we build one another. He will cause you to be a fit instrument in his hands for service. You cannot resist the evil one on your terms. Flee from him, resist him, and he will flee from you, the Bible says. And again, it's an appeal to those who might not be saved. There is victory in Jesus Christ. He died for your sins, gives you his spirit, and intercedes for you. And for you, what you need is the grace of God to pull you from the world, the things of this world that you've so plunged yourselves into. But for you, child of God, you need Jesus to continue growing you in his likeness, in his grace, and in his knowledge so that you may avoid worldliness. Amen.